Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Second Timothy chapter 1. I told you last week that Paul's in prison. He knows he's about to die. He's writing a letter, the last letter that he writes. He writes it to Timothy, a young man that is going to pick up the baton and carry on the ministry. You'll notice the first words in verse 6 is, Therefore which refers back to verse 5. I always tell you, whenever you see the word therefore, yes, what is that therefore? <laughs> it's because of verse 5. Let me read it, and then we'll read verse 6 and 7. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that's Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Back before the days of emails and instant communication, when we had to write letters, some of you may remember those days. A young lady in college wrote the following letter to her parents after her first three months. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry it's been so long since my last letter, but I didn't want to worry you about the fire in the dorm and my concussion, which happened when I fell out of the window trying to escape. I've been anxious to tell you about that nice attendant from the service station around the corner who made me feel comfortable before the ambulance came. I'm out of the hospital now and feeling fine, especially since that nice attendant offered to let me stay with him at his apartment while they were fixing the dorm. It's such a nice apartment. He's such a nice person. I really like him very much, and I know how happy it will make you to become grandparents In closing, let me tell you that you can stop worrying. There was no fire. I didn't fall out of the window. I didn't have a concussion. I haven't moved into anyone's apartment. There's no man in my life, and you're not going to be grandparents. I told you all those things because I got a D in biology and an F in history, and I wanted you to put that in perspective. I want you to keep things in perspective. A wealthy father from a wealthy family took his son on a trip into the country with the purpose of showing his son how poor people live. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what what would have been considered a very poor family. And on their return from their trip, the father asked his son, well, how was the trip? He said, it was great, Dad. Dad said, did you see how poor people live? Oh, yeah, said the son. So tell me, what did you learn from the trip, asked the father. The son said, well, I saw that we have one dog and they have four. 
We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they, are, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, and they have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless, and then the son added, Thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. You see, it's all a matter of perspective. I don't have to tell you that we are living in a world that is getting worse by the day. And there are people today who live in fear. We're not supposed to live in fear. Just because we have disappointments, just because there are circumstances around us that can look difficult, we need to keep perspective. Paul was in prison. He knew that he didn't have long because he was because of Nero, the emperor. But here's an old saint encouraging a young man to keep on keeping on in Jesus. Now, in our day, it seems that there are a lot of Christians who do not serve the Lord. Some don't serve because their commitment to Christ and his church are about half-hearted. They attend church occasionally, but they're more concerned about the interest of the world and everything else that's going on. Church is sort of a low priority for them. Others have tried serving, and they got frustrated and quit because it's hard from time to time, any kind of ministry that you do. Some quit because other church members criticized them. Some burned out. They did too much. And for whatever reasons, a lot of Christians grow weary of the hassle of serving and retreat to a more comfortable sideline. Kind of reminds me of a mountaineer who in the eastern hills of eastern mountains of, of Tennessee, went out one day out in the woods and didn't come back, and he's gone a week. Finally, he came back in. His clothes were all torn up, and he looked pretty rough, and his wife was pretty mad. said, where in tarnation have you been? He said, well, I went out there to check on something in the woods, and a bear came out there and started chasing me, and I've never run so fast in all my life. She said, but you've been gone a week. He said, yeah, I know. I've been walking back. <laughs> Today, I want you to walk back with me. I want you to walk back from the day that you were saved, and I want you to walk back to the day that you were saved, and I want you to remember who you are because it seems like Timothy is on a retreat. In fact, the first letter Paul writes to him, he, he said Timothy has a tendency, or it, it, we assume, and it appears that Timothy had a tendency to be timid or fearful. We know that he, in First Timothy 5.23, had many infirmities. He was sick a lot. And then in chapter uh, 4 of First Timothy, he said 
don't be ashamed of your youth. Don't be intimidated by your youth. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16.10, Now if Timothy comes to you, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. So it could be that Timothy, who's a younger man in his 30s or late 30s, Paul's in a Roman dungeon and probably not going to get out, and Timothy's facing the daunting task of carrying on the ministry. And yet he seems to be shy and a little intimidated at times. And maybe Paul senses in him that he's wanting to retreat a little bit. And so he writes these words of encouragement. And, and I think they are beneficial to you and me because it helps us when we put these truths into our life, it helps us to remain faithful in a society that is growing more faithless by the day. First, Paul encourages Timothy with recollection and renewal. Therefore, or for this reason, points back to verse 5, Timothy, I saw your genuine faith. And then he says, but I remind you. I remind you of who you are. Folks, why do we have to be reminded? Our memories have a tendency to get bad, don't they? <laughs> I got amused at the man that was being interviewed. He just had his 100th birthday. And the reporter said, do you remember the first girl you ever kissed? He said, are you kidding? I don't even remember the last girl I kissed. <laughs> well, listen, Paul said, I, I want to remind you of something. I want you to remember something. He said, because I know that you have a sincere faith, because you have genuine faith. I want you to stir up the gift, is what the King James, the New King James, uh, how it translates it. To, and actually, it, the Greek says to fan the flames, stir up the fire in you. You've all been camping or you've been at least sitting around a campfire at some point. And after a while, as people are talking or singing or whatever you're doing, that fire dies down. And then what you do is you take a fire poker or a stick or something, and you begin to poke that and, and sparks come and the flame comes back and all of a sudden you feel the heat again. That's this picture. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you have genuine faith. I remind you to stir up the gift, the salvation. Now, the laying on of hands could mean several things. It could mean a sort of an ordination or the Bible was not complete. I mean, the, the scripture wasn't. And it might be that Timothy realized his gift when somebody spoke to him about it. But the fact is, salvation and the gifts that, that he had, Paul is saying, I want you to span the flames. Do you, have you ever heard the term be on fire for the Lord. In fact, we've used that. Oh, he's on fire for the Lord. Maybe it comes out of this passage. I don't know. But the fact is, the truth is, if you're not careful, your fire can dwindle. You don't lose your salvation, but you just lose your resolve. Paul exhorts in verse 6 for Timothy to do that, which would stir up the spiritual heat in your life. Come back to life. His work was tough. He was preaching sound doctrine in the midst of heresy. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary many years ago, 
I'm pretty sure is the one who lost his life being a missionary. But he wrote this. He said, God makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of your spirit that I may flame. Make me your fuel, flame of God. You see, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The power is in you. Romans 8 9, Paul said, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? The moment you commit your life to Christ. Don't let anybody ever tell you, well, you can be saved, and then later on you get the Spirit. That's not true. That happened in the New Testament, but that's not since the day of Pentecost. When you receive Christ, he comes into your life right there. First Corinthians, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink one spirit. I'm not talking about water baptism. We're talking about you were baptized with the, you were immersed in the righteousness of Jesus. You were baptized Immersed in the Holy Spirit, he dwells you. The third person of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he, he baptizes you, immerses you. It's not sprinkled. He immerses you. It's significant that in each of the four biblical references about spiritual gifts, it specifies that every Christian has a gift. Listen, if you're born again, you have a spiritual gift. Gift, at least one. Romans 12, 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And he goes on to describe spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 4, 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving me, in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you are born again, and I'm going to assume most everyone in here is, you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And guess what? That gift is to be used for the Lord's service. For the body. You ever heard the term inactive church member? That's a contradiction. There are no inactive believers. Churches or church members are supposed to be born again believers. An inactive church member is a contradiction. 
You've been given a gift to be used by the Lord and for the Lord, not for yourself. Sometimes you discover that gift because he puts the desire and the ability in you. Sometimes you discover it by serving and you find out, well, this is what I'm supposed to, this is my gift. It's easy for me to do. Sometimes we discover it from other people. They recognize that gift in you. And sometimes you discover it by the fact that when you do it, it's very effective. You have a spiritual gift, at least one. And not everybody has the same one. Don't let anybody ever tell you, I'm going to give you a spiritual gift. It's not theirs to give. Holy Spirit. Timothy, you have been gifted by God. Fan the flames. Stay on fire. Quite often, to serve God effectively, you've got to step out of your comfort zone. Sometimes you have to trust God when it's difficult. But it's time for us to walk back home and remember who we are. You are a child of God. God saved you to serve Him. He didn't save you to sit on the premises. Serve Him. He then gives the principle of remembrance and resolve. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Timidity is the word. He's not given us a spirit of fear. God didn't give you gifts and say, now be afraid to use them. (laughs) There were two guys on a jungle safari, and they were walking out in the African jungle, and a lion jumped out in front of them, and one of them said to the other, now keep calm. You remember what we read in the book on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still and look at the lion in the eye, he will turn and run. His friend said, sure, you've read the book, and I've read the book, but has that lion read that book? (laughs) All kinds of phobias today. You know what a phobia is? Fear. Listen listen to some of these phobias. Pelodophobia. It's a fear of baldness. Here's some other ones. Porphyriophobia. Porphyriophobia. Afraid of purple. Chactophobia, afraid of hairy people. (laughs) Odontophobia, afraid of teeth. Cyberphobia, a lot of y'all have that. You're afraid of a computer. Ecclesiophobia, this is a pandemic. They're afraid of church. Not with you guys. Chronotophobia, afraid of money. Europhobia, color red. Homophobia, afraid of sermons. Some of y'all have that too. (laughs) And then if you can't think of anything to be afraid of, how about phobophobia? You're just afraid of fear. You know why they, you know, you've seen pictures. Surely some of you may have met mountain climbers. I don't, the fact that you're here probably means you've never done it because you're still alive. You know why they tie ropes together? I used to think it was so if somebody fell, they would catch them, but one person said it's to keep the sensible ones from running away. (laughs) Paul said, it's not a time to be afraid, Timothy. 
It's not, a, it's not a time to be afraid. Listen, I know we're surrounded by a lot of stuff. And, and there's a lot of us, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to make you afraid. But you need to remember who you are. And you need to remember that God did not put that fear in you. Especially when it comes to serving him. Don't be afraid. Listen, Satan's not going to like it. They're going to, there are people that try to intimidate us as a congregation. They write letters to the IRS. Ooh, a letter. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We ain't broken any laws. We're not going to be intimidated. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to do what's right. And we don't have to live in fear. We don't. So <laughs> he's saying, Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. You have the truth. You have the light. You are a light in a world of darkness. You stand and don't be afraid. And coming from a man who's sitting in prison, been beaten numerous times, left for dead once, in prison several times, all because of the gospel. He said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. It's not a time to be afraid. And so Paul gives Timothy the next truth, and I call it realization and resolve and reliance. Realization and reliance. Where are your thoughts? You know, Dennis Minish. Dennis got into bed with his mom and dad one night during a thunderstorm, and they were trying to calm him, saying, son, there's no, no reason to be afraid of a thunderstorm. And Dennis said, I wouldn't be scared of thunder if I could keep my mind off my thoughts. <laughs> you can't keep your mind off your thoughts. So what are you going to think? What are you going to remember? God's given us something to live this life. He said, first of all, Timothy, you have power. You have spiritual might. The word is dunamis. Dynamite. We get our word dynamite. It denotes great force or energy, which means to make a spiritual impact on people. You have, you have not power over people, but influence with them. I got amused at William Spidell, who wrote in the Reader's Digest. He said, my wife Donna is the spark plug who makes sure the kids are up on time to eat and then catch the school bus. One day, she had an early meeting and left while the rest of us were sleeping. By the time the kids and I dragged ourselves out of bed and through our morning routine, we were late. My daughter and son wanted notes for their teachers, excusing their tardiness. Okay, I said, but what's the reason? What are we going to put down? And after some discussion, we settled on this. Please excuse this lateness. Our power went out early this morning. <laughs> That's probably a good, good way to put it. But your power comes from the Holy Spirit. For a lot of people, it seems like the power's gone out of their life. They don't seem to have the energy to face the demands of life. They don't seem to have the wisdom to handle the courses of life or have the hope to face the tragedies or to have the resolve to do the right things. They, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit leading them. They're doing everything in the flesh. This power of the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we rest on His power and the Word of God. It provides us with His power in order to be effective. Paul said, Timothy, you've got God's power. Depend on Him. 
You don't have to ask for it. You already have it. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. Chapter 1, he didn't pray that they would be given divine power. Listen to what he said. I pray that the eyes of your heart and mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. You have spiritual might. What keeps you going? The power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see that again in verse 8 next week. But you also see it in chapter 3, verse 5, where it says in the latter days when people are going through all kinds of emotions, it says they have a form of godliness but denying its power. But you and I have the power of God in our lives. Remember who you are. The Lord lives in you. Not only has God given us power, but to balance that, he's given us love or supernatural motivation. You see, without love in your heart, serving the Lord is just a bunch of noise. It's, it's not effective. What did Jesus do when, with people who hated him? He loved them. Love balances power. It's opposed to fear. Fear comes from self-love or self-concern or self-protection. You're afraid for yourself. When you, if you are all about yourself, there's going to be a lot of fear. You're, you're, you're going to be afraid you're going to lose this or something's going to happen to you. But biblical love is concerned for the spiritual well-being of others why do we even care about the people out here in Lubbock, Texas or in the area that are not following Jesus? Why? Why do you even care? Why did we build a building so more people could come? I mean, after all, you don't even know these people, do you? Why, why do we even care about people in other lands that don't know Jesus? You don't know them. Why do you even care? I'll tell you why. You can't help it. Because the Holy Spirit in you makes you care for others. See, you, didn't, you weren't born with that. You were born with a selfish nature. It's all about you. But when you're born again and the Holy Spirit comes into you, you, you care for other people. You do. Now, if you don't care, you need to look again because something's wrong. You see, the, Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, in our society, we use the word love for everything. You know, I love ice cream, I love football, I love my wife, I love God, I love whatever. So the word agape gets lost here. Agape is not an emotion, it's a volition, it's a choice. 
See, agape love says I can be kind and I can be concerned or sacrifice. Maybe that's a good way to put it. I can sacrifice for those who may not give me anything in return. Most of the time we love when somebody gives us something in return. Or I will love you if you love me. But then what about those people who don't know the Lord and they are mean to you? You may have a neighbor that's hard to deal with or a co-worker or schoolmate. You may have a family member that just gets on your last nerve. Why do you have to be concerned about them? Well, not have to, but why are you concerned about them? Because the Holy Spirit is. And when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, was to love the Lord your God with all your being, mind, soul, heart, spirit, and the second is likened to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I like the way John MacArthur wrote it. He said, our spiritual lives are measured accurately by our love. If our first love is for self, our life will center on seeking our own welfare, our own objectives, our own comfort, our own success. We will not sacrifice ourselves for others or even for the Lord. But if we love the love with the love God provides, our life will center on pleasing Him and on seeking the welfare of others, especially other Christians. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Did you know when you really love something, you lose the sense of self-preservation? Let me illustrate it this way. We're out on a boat in the ocean, and one of your children falls overboard without even thinking about your own life, what are you going to do? You're going in there. You're going after them. Self-preservation has nothing to do with it. Because of the love that you have for that child, you're going in there. Now, if, if you're all about you, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, I don't know how to swim. If we love ourselves only, we'll do everything we can to preserve ourselves. But when you love the Lord, who controls your actions? What if you go to a foreign land? Or you, what if we lose our life because we love God? We're still pleasing the one that we love the most. When you love God, you're going to love his work. You're going to love his church. You're going to love his people. You're going to love his mission. And you don't think about yourself. That's what God puts in our heart. That's why we're about people who aren't here yet. We're about you. And we want to grow you and disciple you. And, and we worship together and we gain encouragement from one another. But what if we just said, you know what, we're going to close the membership today. Those of you who are in here today, we're going to give you a ticket, and you're going to be the only ones let back in here from now on. 
Some of you say, that'd be all right with me. At least I have a seat. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, believe, you wouldn't dream of closing. Why? Because the invitation is from God. Every Sunday you hear me say, we don't close an invitation. It comes from God. But if I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself, then I fearlessly serve the God I love and the neighbor I love. He's given us power, strength, spiritual might. He's given us a supernatural love. It doesn't come, it didn't come naturally. But he's also given us a sound mind. Only place this word is used in the New Testament. It has the idea of self-controlled or disciplined or a properly prioritized mind. It's, it's hard to put into words. We live by the godly discipline and our priorities are placed in the right order. The opposite of that are people whose minds are blind. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of those lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. But when you meet Jesus and you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for your sins and mine and you know he's the only way to be saved, when you give your life to Christ, the light comes on. And all of a sudden, you're thinking with a sound mind. You wonder today, I, I, am, I am literally amazed <laughs> at the thinking of people today. But then I have to realize they're in darkness. It, it's, and, and, and the reason you and I are so flabbergasted and just appalled, thinking, how can somebody in their right mind do something like that? The key is, they're not in their right mind. But God's given you a sound mind. He's given you an enlightenment. He's given you the, the truth of right and wrong. He, when you live by godly discipline, the Holy Spirit gives you the priorities or shows you priorities. That's, it's one of the reasons Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.26 when he said, I run in such a way as not without aim. In other words, I know where I'm going. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I don't miss. I have purpose. I buffet my body. Now, that's not what we do after church. That's not buffet our bodies. It's buffet. <laughs> I want to make sure you know the difference, Baptist. I buffet my body, which means I bring my body into submission. I make my body do what I want, not what it wants, and I make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. In other words, it brings the discipline, and, and you know right and wrong. And you don't take God's Word and say, well, I know what God's Word says, but I'm going to do this. It's not the Holy Spirit. And when people get away from the Word of God, 
then they begin to do things contrary to God's word. But see, the greatest resources we have, strength, the Holy Spirit convicts us and convinces us and empowers us. We sacrifice because the Lord sacrificed for us and we gave our lives to him. Lord, I am yours. And he gives us a sound mind or self-mastery because the Holy Spirit can guide us in what to do and what not to do. You have these resources. You do. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You can be a church member. No power. That's why religious people, they're not very much fun to be around. No power, no love. Some of the meanest people I've ever met, church people. They are. A person that's in a church that's mean, they're either in turmoil or they're lost because you can't stay that way all your life. And you think, well, church people are hypocrites. Yeah, we're all hypocrites. We're, not, we're, we're all still works in progress. Not from a salvation standpoint, but from a sound mind standpoint, he's still working on me and you. So if you don't know Jesus today, Trust me, you can go to church and you can know churchanity, the language, and churchography or choreography. Churchography, I just made up a word. <laughs> churchanity is a made up word too. You can know all the stuff about church and not know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know nothing. How's that for some good grammar? <laughs> but you can know him today. Listen, there's no reason to be afraid. You have the Lord in you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for those today who don't know Jesus. They've been in church. They, they, know, the, they know the lingo. They know the choreography. They just don't know you. Please show them the emptiness that's there without a real commitment of their life to you. And I, I thank you for those who do know you. And I pray that you'll bring them out of their fear. They'll fan the flame, stir up the fire, set them on fire. To not be afraid to stand for you, to live for you with love and compassion, but with a sound mind to be the kind of person you want us to be. Even in a world that is going further and further away from you, God. Help us to stand strong and not worry about preserving ourselves, but honoring you. I pray for those that need a church. If this is it, you bring them here. There's some need to be baptized. They know it. You know it. You bring them. I pray, God, you be honored and glorified. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.